in your Bible tonight, the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read two verses, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, referring to Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now stop and ponder that a moment. Satan had at one time at least the power of death. And verse 15 continues, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. People were in bondage. And they were in bondage because they feared death. It controlled them. It bound them in their life. And through fear of death, they were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Thank you, and you may be seated. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were told of certain things that we were to do in order to, quote, slow the spread. They said if we did this, the virus would not spread as rapidly. And then later they came out and said, flatten the curve. We're going to flatten the curve. And the idea is that the curve of the virus was going up exponentially, thousands of new cases every day multiplying. And we're going to flatten the curve, meaning we're going to stop the growth of it, and then it will turn down. And we, do, we were doing all of that to keep the coronavirus from spreading and becoming worse than it would have been. They had these models that they had projected, and so if we were to flatten the curve, we would hold down the number of people sick and who subsequently died. We would hold those down and if we flatten that curve. Now, the thing is, is we could say that it has worked to some extent, perhaps to a great extent. Nobody really knows how well it's worked, I guess. But nobody told us how to flatten the fear curve. Nobody gave us any word at all about the fear curve that has accompanied the pandemic. And I think the panic and uh, some of the actions that people have taken have been as bad that the cure has been as, or that the uh, result of the panic has been as bad as the virus itself. If you look at the word in verse 15, the fear of death, the word fear there, circle it. Fear appears over 400 times in your Bible. And if you add afraid to it, it's over 500 times. So my Bible has 1,100 pages in it. Almost every other page has some mention of fear or being afraid. It must be a really significant issue or problem for God to put fear on every other page of his written word, mustn't it? And so it's a big problem. It's a big problem today. We not only have the the fear of the coronavirus, the panic that's come about from it, but we, we fear all kinds of things. We have this listing that these psychologists come up with and they're 
listing of diseases, and they have the phobias, they call them, the fears that people have. And there are about 2,000 or so of them that have been identified. Can you imagine? I mean, everything conceivable people fear. I'm not interested so much in all that marginal, irrational fear, but I'm interested in helping the people who come to church here. And I'm interested in the people who watch on television, who listen. And there's all kinds of fear right here in this room tonight. We don't voice it. It's not fashionable in America to say, I'm afraid. The people are afraid of the virus. We have several hundred church members. I have not seen them since this started. And uh, they would tell you, well, I fear getting in a crowd. But then we have the woman who just lost her husband. And she fears the future. How am I going to provide? How am I going to get by? And we have the fear of the family who have the child on drugs or who's going off on his or her own. We have the fear. Somebody told me recently, my child has passed their driver's test and I'm afraid. And I understand that perfectly well. I remember those days when I bit my, needle, my fingernails until they, until they came home. The word fear there is a Greek word, phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S, Hebrews 2.15, the fear of death, phobos. And it sounds like what? Phobia. It's where we get our word phobia. A fear or a terror. And it can be legitimate or it can be imaginary. The child who fears that the uh, boogeyman is under the bed. It's real to them. But fear, a subject that the Bible deals with over 500 times. Now, last week I spoke to you about it, but I'd like to speak again and go a different direction. I'm going to probably speak again on it because I got into it and studied it, and I just I got so much material I can't finish it in one or two messages. I'd like for you to notice the source of fear in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, 14 and 15. The devil is the source of fear here. Now, he's not the only source of fear, but I will tell you this in studying my Bible. God is never the source of your fear. If you have a fear today, it didn't come from God, and it's very important that we Establish that fact real quickly. Second Timothy 1 and 7 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. So your fears never come from God. So they're always outside of God. If I'm fearful, it didn't come from God. It may have a normal, reasonable, rational explanation. Peter looked at the storm and the waves, and he was fearful. Well, if I'd been on that boat, I, there, there might have been a very good reason to be fearful. But never blame God for your fears. Fears come from outside of the Lord. Now, often our fears come from inside ourselves. Satan may not have anything to do with it. Satan is not the author of every fear. And our fears can stem from our own mind. Our fears can stem from our own heart. That's a big source of our fear. Because fear is to fear, to be afraid of a, or it's the thought of an incurring a loss. 
And any time that we think we might incur a loss, then fear can grip us. It can be fear about our life as in the pandemic. It can be a fear about our health. It can be a fear about wealth or a fear about losing our possessions, some great financial loss. It can be the fear of losing a loved one, maybe someone who is very, very ill, and we're, we're just terror-stricken that they could die, that they could pass away. It can be a fear of losing a position that we have. I might get fired from my job. They might lay me off. I might lose the business that I've spent all of my life working to attain. It might be a fear of losing a relationship. I hope that my wife or my husband is being faithful to me and are not uh, thinking about a divorce and leaving me. And many times I've counseled with people who were absolutely terrorized by the thought that they were about to lose their spouse. So there's a lot of fears that are rational, but they didn't come from God. They came from our own heart. They came from our own mind. I know people that are deathly fear of, or fearful of earthquakes or storms or natural catastrophes, and they live with that on their mind a lot of the time. And some people are just... Uh, chronically fearful. I heard about the woman who texted her son, and she said to him, start worrying, details are coming. <laughs> so some people are almost looking for something to fear, aren't they? Almost looking for something to worry about. Start worrying, I'll send you the details here. There's always something to fear. But in this verse, it's unmistakably clear that one of the great sources of our fear is the devil himself. May I tell you about the devil for a few minutes, or do I need to tell you? Are you well acquainted with him? But I'd like to tell you about him again, because Satan is the most evil character in the whole, in the whole universe. He is malevolent, as evil as you can be. He's a spirit being. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't dress in a red and a sweatsuit and carry a pitchfork or whatever. He doesn't have any horns. He's a spiritual being. He was an angel. In fact, he was the top angel, the head angel, the archangel, who was near the throne of God himself. He was near the burning fires around the throne of God. And pride came into his heart because of his beauty and his talent. And he was lifted up in his mind. He was like Nebuchadnezzar this morning, proud and arrogant and boastful. So proud, in fact, and so powerful, in fact, that he took on God himself. And he created a rebellion in heaven. He planted an insurrection. And he turned one-third of the angels against God. He convinced them. Don't think he's not a pretty convincing fellow. He convinced one-third of the angels to follow him in a revolt in heaven, a revolution of sorts in heaven. And so he is evil to the core. He is the most evil being there is. Now, being an angel, he was created to be a ministering spirit. He was to minister to God himself at the throne of God. The rest of the angels, and we talked about this morning, 
They were watchers. They were to watch over uh, the people of God and the people of the earth. And so he was a archangel, the highest of the spirit beings created by God to minister to God himself and, of course, to the people of the earth. And since he's a spirit being, he uses spiritual weapons. He doesn't use pitchforks. He doesn't use tangible weaponry like you and I think of a weapon. He doesn't use guns and swords and bombs. He works through the mind, through the heart. He's a spiritual being using spiritual weapons. And I believe one of his primary weapons is fear. He puts fear in the hearts and minds of people. And when he does, fear at a point paralyzes people. It's like the little bird sitting on the ground and the rattlesnake coiled in front of him and the pictures and fables we've heard of. And the little bird freezes. The bird cannot escape because fear paralyzes that little bird. And in the same way, when fear takes over in our bodies and our minds and our emotions, we're paralyzed. We can't act. Satan has no mercy. There's not one grain or ounce of mercy or grace in Satan. There's no kindness. He's relentless. He can never inflict enough pain, so he never backs off. He always is pursuing. Satan is pure, unadulterated hatred. He never feels any compassion or sorrow from anybody. He's cruel in the extreme. He is the purest form of evil that there is in the universe. This is Satan. And he delights in the pain and the misery of God's people. Don't think that he ever relents in his giving pain to people. He doesn't. And he particularly enjoys it when he can turn people against God and question the goodness of God and blame God, have the people blame God for their problems that befall them. In fact, the very first thing that Satan ever did was cause Eve to question the goodness of God. Did God ever say that? Did he really say that? And he raised a question in her mind about whether God was good or not. And when problems get difficult enough for us and fear comes in and controls us, it's easy to question God. It's easy to blame God. And we're playing right to Satan's strength when we do so. Now, that's what Hebrews is talking about here. That So, Satan came along, and he motivated through fear a bondage, an inability of people to even act freely because they were bound with death. They were bound with the fear of death. Go with me in your Bible to John chapter number 8. John chapter 8. And Jesus there is speaking about the devil. He says some very interesting things about him in John 8 and 44. 
He said to the people to whom he was speaking, the Pharisees, religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil. So because somebody's religious doesn't mean that they're, that they're following God. He said, you are of your father, the devil. And the lust or desires of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. A murderer from the beginning. Now, just stop and, and, and contemplate that a moment. How was Satan a murderer from the beginning? Here's how. Here's what Jesus is saying. That's a reference to the fall. You see, when Satan tempted Eve and tempted her to sin, he brought sin into the world, and sin always results in death. And so every single person that ever sinned is going to die, and Satan is responsible for that. Satan is the ultimate mass murderer in all of history. The wages of sin is death. And once he got sin infiltrated, if you will, into the human race, he was able to take the life of every single person. And the threat of taking their life, he used his fear to bind them throughout their life. Romans 5 and 12. By one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. By one man, Adam and Eve, sinning there, fear and death entered the world. Romans 6, 23, I've already quoted, the wages of sin is death. So every person that ever sins is going to die. In that sense, Satan was a murderer, the murderer from the beginning. But he goes further. Jesus didn't stop there. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. Now, a person that has absolutely no truth in them is always lying, are they not? If there's no truth in them, they're always lying. So Satan is a liar, and Jesus goes ahead and says that. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He not only is a murderer, but he's, a, he's the father of all lies. And so we have this picture, this portrait of Satan. And I wanted to spend a few moments on that because I don't do it often. But I wanted you to understand who the devil is because the Bible says he is one of the great sources of the fear that can control our lives. And that fear is one of his most powerful weapons. Now, Satan uses whatever weapon is available to him. So he doesn't treat everybody the same. At different times, his approach is one thing. And different places and with different people, he uses a different approach. He is very, very savvy. He uses the approach that he knows will work. He's interested in one thing. He's interested in effectiveness. He's not interested in wasting his efforts. He has a mission, if you will, though it's a dark mission. And so whatever weapon is available, Satan is going to use. I think today that one of his primary weapons in our culture at this time is media. The media. Now, I'm not saying that everything that happens in the media that Satan is pulling the strings on it. Because obviously there, there's some very good media. And I want to make that clear. But I think that Satan uses whatever great weapons are available to him. And that is right now the most consuming thing in people's lives. 
Average person spends how many hours a day on Facebook or YouTube or the Internet or on their computer? Or it, six, eight hours a day, I think, is average right now in the, in the country. And even the secular psychologists are talking about the impact, the effect of this on people, that it, in fact, changes brain chemistry in people. That people are not the same. They don't react the same as they have done historically and traditionally. And so if you want to talk about the big stick that the devil has, then uh, one of those primary weapons is the media because the media deals with the mind. Again, he's not wielding a gun or a knife. He's wielding thoughts. Things that get in our heads and affect us. And whether it be television or radio or newspapers or social media, he uses them to create fear. And throughout this pandemic, I have made my own personal observation. And I'll tell you, the media has created so much misinformation and fear and panic in this country. It just makes me angry. I've got to control myself when I talk about it. Because I think in the final day before Almighty God, they're going to have the most severe judgment of anybody in this culture. I'll give you an example. And I looked and saw this for myself, so this is not second-handed. The Los Angeles Times newspaper ran an article this past week. And the headline of the, that section of the paper was, quote, coronavirus outbreak at L.A. megachurch that defied public health orders. This is the headline. Coronavirus outbreak at the L.A. megachurch that defied public health orders. And you read the article, which I read the article. And the article is referring to Dr. John MacArthur's church, the Grace Community Church. And it says there is a coronavirus outbreak there. That's one of the half dozen largest churches on a consistent basis probably in the country today. About 7,000 people are going to church there on Sunday morning. And then you come to the last statement of the article. And what does it say? There are three cases of positive coronavirus. But the headline said an outbreak. How many of you would say three cases out of 7,000 is an outbreak? That's what I thought. Now, that's the media in America today. They are of their father, the devil, because he is the father of lies. I'm still going to find me that amen in church. Hmm. Now, you see, and then you think of social media. Going, we're talking about how Satan gets in our minds, social media. And I'm not against all that. I guess you think I am because I usually speak about it negatively. We use it in every form here at the church. I'm not against it per se. I'm against what it does. I'm not on Facebook. I chose to get off after two days. I... I I'm of the old school. If somebody sends me a notice, I feel like I, I feel obligated to answer it. And after two days, I said, I don't have enough hours in the day to answer all this stuff. 
I'm going to play like I didn't get it from now on. And then I just got off. But here's the thing. And you dear folks that spend so many hours on Facebook, let me tell you what Facebook has done. It has given a platform to the opinions of the most ignorant among us. It has given a platform to the most ignorant among us to spread their ignorance. And if you want to read all the stuff that is on there, I mean, it, it will it'll mess you up, honey. It'll mess you up because so much of it is, is, is pointless and so much of it is untrue. Now, getting back to Satan using whatever weapon he's got. He's a spiritual being. He uses spiritual weapons. And the greatest fear that man has is what? Hebrews 2.15. It's the fear of death. Other fears kind of fade into the background. And the fear of death is a universal fear. It's not just in America. It's everywhere. And so that's why it was so easy to panic an entire population with COVID. And Hebrews says Satan binds people. He puts them in bondage with fear. Now, when Christ came to the earth and died for our sins, and then when he resurrected from the grave three days later, boy, that's when he really broke the back of Satan's power. He really trampled on Satan's power when he rose from the dead that day. And I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great resurrection chapter, and look at a passage with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55. Paul says in summary, he's written a whole chapter on the resurrection, overcoming death. And in verse 55, he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You've heard the old illustration, perhaps. It's been a long time since I've used it, and it's a good one. About the little, about the mother, she was stung by the bee, bumblebee or honeybee or some kind of bee, and it left its stinger in her arm. And she kind of shouted when the bee stung her, and the little boy or girl with her, the little child, was afraid because the bee was still in the car and buzzing around. And the child started screaming, just terrorized that he was going to get bit by the, or stung by the bee. And the mother said to him, she tried to quiet him, and she hugged him, and she said, Honey, you don't have to cry. He can't sting you anymore. All he can do is buzz. He can buzz, but he can't bite. And the Bible says here that Jesus took the sting out of death. He's the one that had the sting in his body when he died on the cross. He took the pain, the ultimate pain of spiritual death for all of us. And the Bible says the sting of death is sin. And Paul then goes on and says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't be bound with the bondage of fear. Don't let fear keep you from doing the Lord's work. 
because Jesus has taken the sting out of death. Yes, it's still a terrible experience. No, none of us in the building are looking forward to the day of our demise. If you said to me, Pastor, do you have any fear at all of death? Well, I certainly have some apprehensions about it. I don't want to die. But on the other hand, I'm going to tell you, when the worst comes to the worst and I'm facing eternity, praise God, I have a Savior and His grace will be sufficient for me then. Y'all sounding like a Baptist church now. <laughs> Only a Christian can say in Philippians 1.21, to die is gain. Oh, a worldly man can't say that. A worldly woman can't say that. Only a Christian can say, for me to die is ultimately gain. And so it's a tragedy when we let the fear of death take away our joy in life. And you know, if you had to ask me to describe the atmosphere of America today, I'd say, boy, a lot of the joy is gone. A lot of the joy is gone. I don't see people laugh as readily. I don't see them as light. I see them burdened and heavy, and I see them like that they're struggling the joy has gone out of life because of fear. We fear what, what's going to happen after the election. They're predicting it could be riots in the streets, anarchy. We fear the, the, the sickness itself. We don't know what the economic future will be. One day I read the paper, we're going to have the greatest depression and the next day I read that the stock market is roaring and everything's going to be all right. All of those things are inculcating fear into the hearts of people today. And it robs us of our joy. James Montgomery is a very famous English author. And he wrote these words, and boy, savor these. Tis not the whole of life to live or all of death to die. It's not the whole of life to live. Everything about life is not just physically living. And it's not all of death to die. I saw a cartoon the other day, and I thought, boy, that is so, that, there's so much wisdom in that. It was Charlie Brown. I don't even think we have Charlie Brown anymore, do we? The man died that created Charlie Brown. But boy, Charlie Brown, there was some wisdom in that. And Charlie Brown and Snoopy, the little dog, are sitting on the dock looking out over the lake and reflecting, I guess, having a serious conversation. And Charlie says to Snoopy, one day, Snoopy, we will all die. And Snoopy says, yes, Charlie, but every other day we will all live. Boy, how much wisdom in one little thing. Snoopy, one day we will all die. And Snoopy says, yes, Charlie, but every other day we will all live. And it's not all of death to die, and it's not of all, all of life to live. And so... My friends, we can't let fear suck all the 
joy out of our lives. We can't focus on being sick and dying and forget to live our lives that God have, has given to us. Now, God gave us some weapons. Let me quickly show you. Go to Luke chapter 12 with me, if you will, please. Luke chapter number 12. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. Luke chapter 12 and verse 4. God's weapons to fight our fear. By the way, God's given us a lot of weapons. I'm just giving you one here tonight. There's a weapon of faith to fight fear. There's the weapon of love. Do you know the Bible teaches that love drives out fear? I talked about that last week. The Holy Spirit drives out fear. You can't have love, joy, and peace. There's no peace if you're full of fear. So a spirit-filled person has the peace of God, the very opposite of, of fear. But here the Lord talks about one kind of fear that drives out all other kinds of fear. The fear of the Lord drives out all the other fears. Now let's read about it. Luke 12 and 4. I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. Those who could bring us physical death. That would be the virus. That would be a storm. That would be cancer. That would be any of a, a number of things that can take our physical lives. Don't be afraid of those that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you should or shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear him. Who is the one who can cast into hell? Revelation chapter 20, only one. That's Almighty God. So here's what he's saying. Here's all the other fears in the world. But here's the fear of God, and it ought to be greater than every other fear in my life. I ought to have a greater fear of God than I do all the other fears that I may or may not have in my life. And if I have that one fear, it drives out the other fear. The other fears are inconsequential to the one fear. And that's the fear of him that can cast into hell. So the fear of the Lord is a fear that I want to cultivate. That's a positive fear. I want to have in my life the fear of the Lord. Let me define for you the fear of the Lord. Many, many years ago, we had a team here called the Life Action Team. They were a revivalist team of young people. They traveled. Some of you will remember them clear back in the first auditorium, I think is where we had them, in the chapel. Or maybe it was in the second auditorium. I can't remember. How many of you are here when we had the life action team? Okay, a few of you still sprinkle through here. And they put the emphasis, of course, on revival. In the whole week or 10 days over here, it was a, it was a major meeting and a, and a great event in our church. And they defined for us the fear of the Lord because they really emphasized living in the fear of the Lord. And I've never heard anybody put that much emphasis on it since. And, and I tell you, it is, a, it is a very important spiritual virtue to fear the Lord. Now, here's the definition they gave. The fear of the Lord is the constant awareness 
that God is aware and conscious of all that I say or think or do, and he will reward or punish me accordingly. The constant awareness that God is watching my life, and he knows what I say, I think, or I do, and someday he will reward or punish me accordingly. That I live in this glaring light of Almighty God looking into my heart and my mind and knowing every word, every thought, every deed, even the motives of my heart and my mind. And someday he will reward me and or he will punish me accordingly. The word fear, if you'll go back to the book of Proverbs and turn back there with me to chapter 9 here because it's something really important I want to show you. I want you to really be well taught to understand these concepts. And the word fear, the fear of the Lord is mentioned here in chapter 9 and verse 10 of the Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy, the holy is God. The knowledge of God is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning point of wisdom in life. And the knowledge of the holy is the knowledge of God himself brings understanding. Now, he, now in the Old Testament here, the he, it's a Hebrew word, fear. It's not phobos. Here the word is for reverence. Reverence of the highest kind. Moral reverence. That you just absolutely are in awe of God himself. That you're overwhelmed with God. You're like Isaiah in chapter 6 when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he trembled. That to think that God is watching and knowing and thinking about me makes me tremble. Not, not in a terror sense, but in the sense that God is so great, so big, so overwhelming. And I respect him and reverence him so much. The fear of the Lord, a, a moral reverence. It's having an attitude toward God like you did toward your mama when you were a little child. You didn't say dirty words. You might have said them on the school playground. You didn't say those dirty words in front of your mother. Because there was a reverence for her morality and her character. And you would never have done that in front of your mother. You didn't want to disappoint your mother. And in the same way, the Christian lives in the fear of the Lord. I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want him to look at me and say, that's one of my children, but I'm not real proud of him right now. And so the fear of the Lord, that respect, that honoring his moral character, that awareness, boy, it produces all the good things in life. And I show them to you real quickly in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. It produces, it produces wisdom. Do you need wisdom? There's no wisdom without the fear of God. Go back to chapter 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. 
The fear of the Lord causes me to hate evil. I can't love God and love evil simultaneously. Go to chapter 14 and verse 26. All the good things in life come from the fear of God, you see. 1426. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Confidence, the absolute opposite of fear. And his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of God gives me a refuge, gives me confidence. Chapter 15 and verse 16. It's better than treasure. Better is little. Better to be poor and have the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Chapter 16 and verse 6. By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. That's the motivation for living the right kind of life. And this one just wraps it up. Chapter 22. Chapter 22 and verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. That's just about everything people want in life, isn't it? They want money and they want honor or respect and they want to live. And the fear of the Lord produces that in people's lives. The fear of the Lord drives out all the other fears and it produces what people want and crave in their lives. God's formula for a full and a satisfying life. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please.